Welcome to Composers in a Jukebox, a podcast that brings together a special breed of musicians in a conversation about their craft. We're thankful to be in the company of Matt Dunkley today, and in this first part of our conversation we explore Matt's work as a film music orchestrator on some of the most notable films of the last decade, such as Barbie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Succession, and many more. <laughs> Welcome, Matt. Hey, hey Matt. Nice Hello, Matt. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. How, Pleasure. how are you doing today, Matt? Where are you coming from? Uh, I'm coming from Petersfield in Hampshire, so just, just up the east. Oh, amazing. Oh. That's fine. Well, we really appreciate you being here. And I think the first thing we're going to ask you about is one of the more recent things you've worked on, which is Barbie, a film that is sweeping the nation. It's yep. the <laughs> highest grossing film of the year. So ask you a question about that. Um, first of all, we just want to ask something kind of fun, which is what's your favorite cue from the soundtrack or like favorite little musical moment that you got to work on? Oh, on Barbie. On Barbie. Yep. I, I think it's probably um, the, the song I'm Just Ken. It <laughs> oh. comes, comes up at the end, end yeah, of the movie. Yeah. And, and it, it's so much fun and it's so many gear changes. And uh, yeah, we, we had so much fun putting that together. So yeah, yeah I think that's a, that's a great... I mean, it's a, it's a song, but it's also kind of a cue. Because yeah, yeah. you know, anybody who's seen that mm. scene, it becomes quite uh, epic, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's a cool one too, because I actually think that one really helped, like, helped advertise the film as well because sure. it came out a bit early and a lot of people saw that and went oh this is hilarious yeah Let's and it, it was this. it was one of the first things i worked on because um you know we can get into that but I, I originally came on just to work on the songs with uh, mark ronson and andrew wyatt and then their their role expanded in the film and i i kind of you know, went went with them on that yeah yeah that that that's amazing yeah that was, that was a really fun yeah one. actually was any sorry just just to jump in was any of the work on i'm just ken done before the shoot um, well. Yeah, I mean, obviously they had to have some some stuff there for playback, but it was fairly kind of bare bones. So I think Mark had, had um, obviously done the vocal with Ryan, um, and they had a rough uh, backing track and rhythm section. So the dancers had a, a tempo, but it was it was it was pretty rudimentary. So we we really fleshed it out in post. You know. Oh, nice, cool, right? Yeah. So, um, also the music for Barbie, it constantly switches between score and songs. Mm. Did you take the sound palette of the songs into consideration while orchestrating the score? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the, why it's so successful is because um, Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt put together and produced and wrote a lot of the songs. The score that they also wrote, uh, it kind of bleeds into it, so it doesn't feel like you've got song score, song score, song score. You know, it's very much you're not quite sure where the song ends and the soundtrack begins. And uh, I think that was that was a very clever move on on Greta Gerwig's uh, behalf. That she, you know, she she quickly realised that that's what the film needed, and so it, it doesn't feel like you're ever really leaving the song world. But actually, there's you know, there's quite a few cues in there. There's about, I think we recorded about 50 minutes of score. Yeah. Wow. But you don't notice Ooh. that because, you know, you come out of the song and you're still in the kind of groove and then, yeah. and they're, you know, they used a lot of analog synths and stuff. So it, you, you're always in that sound palette. And then my job was really to um, enhance stuff and, and bring emotion and, you know, make, make it more cinematic, make it broader, but um, also without, you know, like, you know just, chucking an orchestra on top of <laughs> all, all, all this cool all these cool grooves you know apart from when we did the you know the, the Richard Strauss stuff which yeah. was, which was fun but um the rest yeah. of it yeah it was it was very much trying to 
weave the orchestra in to give us to give the emotion that we weren't getting from the synths and the uh, and the other the other pop elements uh but yeah i think i think it works really well yeah it does <laughs> it does i didn't even notice like when it from song and then suddenly the soundtrack kind of blends in so well yeah yeah it's well, not like in your face which is perfect no absolutely that's what we were trying to achieve so that's yeah it sounds like really lush arrangements of, of pop tunes like you would have really organically in a lot of these songs if they were just songs strings and orchestra come in sure you know so yeah very organic and there is a lot of we were li- i was listening to the score and i did i was paying particular attention to how much orchestra there is there's a lot of orchestras yeah. throughout the score oh like yeah you said. yeah 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 um yeah it's a big soundtrack actually yeah it is it is and we were you know we recorded um some of it in new york because uh, we had to get some of the songs finished early for um, soundtrack release and stuff which comes out which came out or was ready to go before the movie and then we recorded the rest in in london so um, you know nice. big big orchestras i think we had a mm. 90 piece orchestra in new york oh. and 80 86 in london so yeah there's a there's wow. a, a lot of souls <laughs> yeah yeah very cool it definitely pays off <laughs> Yeah. Um, actually, could I, speaking of adapting songs into score, could I jump in with a question that's not on script? I feel like I keep doing this on every single podcast. We want to get off the script. That's it's good. It's fine. Yep. It's fine. And, <laughs> and yeah, today's the day. So um, I absolutely love uh, the song that Billie Eilish sang for the film, What I Was Made For. And I noticed that a lot of, of its material um, is used as a kind of motif in the score when when uh, Barbie goes out of Barbie land into the real world, especially from that point on. Um, could you share more about the process of um, adapting that tune orchestrationally in, in, into the score and maybe just talk us through, you know, how, um, how you vary the theme um, colour-wise and orchestrationally according to each moment. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, actually the song came in quite late. So we had other stuff for those kind of moments. We called them The Shining, you know, every time um, Barbie, you know, the Margot Robbie character has a sort of existential moment where she's thinking about the real world and just she's, you know, she's outside Barbie land. Um and yeah, we had some stuff that wasn't, it wasn't quite, it was okay, you know, but then I just, I, I remember it because I, I worked in uh, Mark Ronson's studio in New York for a couple of months when we were working on this. And I remember the, the, the day that the song came in because they'd asked, you know, Billy and Phineas to, to write something and he played it to us on his iPhone and we were all just go, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And then we, we put it up, <laughs> we put it up against um, the scene that it was designed for, you know, the very end scene. Um, yeah. And yeah, it works so well. And then, then from there, we kind of retrofitted it into the into the rest of the score because it, it. And you know, the decision that, that Mark and Andrew made quite early on was that those uh, those beginning piano chords are really evocative, and that gives you enough of the song. So you, you, you know, you drop just little little motif that that motif all the way through the score every time she has those moments. And then you finally get the final payoff at that on that very last scene, um, and it's actually bizarrely it's something I did we did with the the Bond movie No Time to Die that I worked on, and um, yeah. another Billie Eilish song that I, uh, I arranged, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a, a similar thing. You know that that song became the love theme in the in the Bond movie as well. So it's a, you know, and it's a, it's a it's a good um, movie movie technique to 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 use a melody in in diminution and and to uh drop it through a whole movie and sell sell it and and i think it's it the how it i think it works so successfully and then 
when you finally get the payoff where you actually get Billie Eilish's vocal at that moment in the film and don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it but um, it's it's really emotional and we did I mean I remember we all kind of had tears in our eyes the first time we saw it because it works so beautifully and the the chords are just I mean I think Billy and Phineas at the moment they're absolutely uh, at the top of their game they're writing everything they seem to write is fantastic and this just fitted so well and everybody was going oh my god you know? yeah so, yeah it's, it's yeah. like feels inevitable yeah. when you actually get the song you know because you foreshadowed it and all yeah it's very it, cool yeah exactly so and then you you've kind of earned the payoff at the end so yeah wonderful yeah absolutely one of my one of my favorites uh, is, is is in the key meeting Ruth. Uh, the one that was in the kitchen, and you hear it play through kind of you know really old speakers, and there's like a whistle. Yeah. So the yeah, yeah the idea was the idea was that it was kind of playing out of uh, the radio of um, Ruth Ruth Handler in this you know strange yeah. ghost world set sort of thing. Um, so it, yeah, so it was uh, Andrew White actually did that arrangement. It's beautiful. It was this really sort of 1950s um, arrangement of it, and then we got in this incredible whistler from uh, Los Angeles who, who <laughs> flew in a siffler apparently they're called yeah so, so and she was amazing i mean ridiculous incredible yeah so, and so she whistled on it as well i mean you, it's it's very low in the in the, in the mix in the dub when you when you see the scene in the movie but it, it's on the soundtrack album, oh you can definitely hear it in the film too yeah, 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 yeah. it's a really sort of 50s version of the song it's really really cute yeah wonderful well <laughs> you want to move on to across the spider verse oh yeah i think darren has a lot of questions yeah about. this is one of, this is one of darren's I, oh is it is it me again <laughs> Yeah, I, again, absolutely love um, the work on Across the Spider-Verse. It's a very different score. Um, it's a lot more um, very energetic, very vibrant. Um, and, of course, no conversation about Spider-Verse doesn't come with um, the, sort of the, the talk about DJ scratching effects and yeah. a lot of this post-production that happens after, um, presumably after the music is recorded. Uh, my question is... Um, specifically with with those DJ scratching effects uh, on the score, did you know about um, Daniel's intention to include them um, in the finished version? And if you did, what was your approach? Was your approach to orchestration any different, knowing that these elements would be present compared to, you know, if you hadn't known that they were around? Yeah, no, good question. Um, No, not really. I mean, we always knew it was going to happen because we actually did it pretty much at the same time as we recorded the score, we recorded um, sort of half the score at Air and half at Abbey Road Studios. And uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we recorded all the cues uh, and then the the um, the scratcher came in on one evening, I think, and he was there from like about 6pm and I think Daniel kept in there till midnight, you know, because <laughs> it, it was so... <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. And yeah, well, basically what we've just fed him, uh, rough monitor stereo mixes of what we'd recorded that day and the f- few days before. And Daniel had very uh, specific ideas about which pieces he wanted. I mean, he's a, he's a very clever guy, Daniel. And he's, he's always, he's always mm. three steps ahead of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he, he knew what he wanted already. But then this guy was so good. I can't remember his name, which is terrible. But um, he this guy was so good that he was just coming up with all this different stuff that... Uh, you know, we, he actually we used it as a kind of as a kind of percussion track in some because he got he got yeah. he got this kind of rhythm going and it sounded so much better than Pro 
kilogram drums. Yeah, yeah. And so then, we were, okay, we, we've got that at 120 BPM. Can you do one at 144? And yeah. then, you know, we, we were like, because he, he was thinking, oh, I could get this as this is another, this is like programming live. You yeah, know? yeah. So he did all that. And then, you know, it was all this, this kind of, this, I mean, it's a crazy film, isn't it? It's like, you know, AD, yeah, ADHD yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. And, the, you know, there's a whole scene where there's there's a, there's a little bit where in a coffee shop and there's these geese and he, he kind of scratched a sort of goose sound. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's Daniel's favourite bit in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. He loves the goose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a really clever idea because, it, it you know, it's such a, um, a crazy uh, visual impact that film it's amazing um but it's frenetic and i think the scratching really kind of helped to to bed the score in there and you know we recorded a lot of music for that and big big orchestral stuff but Mm. it kind of kept it sort of cool as well yeah yeah. yeah. i mean i think it's i think it's a brilliant score i think daniel i've I've worked with him for the last couple of years now daniel pemberton and i think he's an incredibly talented guy i Um, mean this it's a score that really sounds like nothing else yeah And, and i think it was such a great idea to hire Daniel for those films in general because sure. I don't know how many composers could have tackled like matching that visual style, yeah. how kind of all-encompassing it is, how many different palettes, and the score really matches that. I've got a question about a little bit of a technical orchestration thing is sure. when you're dealing with really heavy hybrid scores or scores with a lot of different elements, one thing I'm really impressed with with this score is how transparent it still is. Mm. It doesn't sound like mush. You can hear everything still. How do you approach that as an orchestrator, knowing that there's going to be a tremendous amount of other layers on the orchestral music, keeping that coherent in a way? Yeah, uh, I mean, part of it is how we record it. You know, so we record things separately. So you you get the brass separate from the strings uh, and the woodwind and, and the rhythm rhythm or the percussion just so you've got some control on it and then you know it's having a very good mixer as well i mean sam O'Kell, who recorded it and mixed it is is fantastic he's you know one of one of the best um there is uh and uh he used to be you know a staffer at abbey road now he's he's, yeah. he's freelance but he works very closely with daniel and daniel's incredibly hands-on composer so he'll be there all the way through the mix every day so it, it's it's very much planned and but we always make sure that even the, even the huge orchestral elements, you know, we had a massive uh, symphonic brass section with our eight horns and, you know, <laughs> six trombones and four trumpets and all that. that. That's a big old noise. But because we recorded them separately, we, we were able to control that. And then, you know, brilliant, brilliant mixing and producing of the of, of the final thing it just puts everything in into its little slot and its little place sonically yeah but it, i mean it's it's so much fun to orchestrate because it's just huge and oh cr- yeah crazy and uh yeah i love i, I love doing those yeah things. great example of innovation in film scoring because a lot of film scoring sometimes gets pigeonholed as being really referential to other things and it is but this score really is something new yeah, in a sense, which is really cool to see something inspired by a film create a type of music that we really haven't heard before. Yeah. I mean, where do you hear DJ scratching and orchestra and synths and world instruments and things? Yeah, like that? Yeah, and it, and it and it all seems to work together. You know, that's that's Makes the, sense. that's the genius of it. It 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 all fits. You know, it it's yeah, it's a really it's a really clever piece of writing. He, I think he's he's very clever, Daniel. I I love. He's he's very different from most of the composers I work with, and he's he's kind of very left field and quirky. Yeah, but, you know some of the, the the scores we've done recently. It's like Amsterdam, um, which was uh, film didn't do so well, but it's a, it had 
take a chance to listen to the score because oh we have it's amazing it's, it's yeah. amazing and we, we you know he basically said let's do it all with woodwind and then we worked out how we were going to do that so we had 12 flutes yeah Aww. and six clarinets six bassoons um four oboes and virtually all the score i mean we had some strings as well but virtually all the score is is a woodwind ensemble yeah, huge yeah. Woodwind ensemble and uh that was i mean that was again that was or- orchestrationally it was quite a challenge yeah. just to work out what am i going to do with all these flutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but um, and it's it's a you know it's a really kind of quirky sounding score, yeah. but very cool. So. Which is so bold because so many scores forgo woodwinds now. It's become yeah. popular to do the string and brass score, so it's like it's very like you said, sort of you know creative and left field to go. You know what? Everyone's doing string and brass scores. I'm doing just woodwinds. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very counter you know intuitive what's going on. I mean, yeah, most of the the Zimmer school kind of guys, they it's all it's all strings and brass. It's yeah, very yeah, little woodwind. Yeah, and, um, and not having that string base of like orchestrationally being able to play all the time. You yeah. have to consider the breaths in the score. So yeah, very exactly. yeah. It's cool that we touched on Amsterdam. That was actually one of the ones we uh, we were thinking about talking about as well. Uh, um, actually, I would like to jump into world music because I'm also I also was part of like the uh, Chinese orchestra when I was um, in high school. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been, <laughs> it's been a while since I actually played the instrument. I I used to play the. It's kind of looked like a dulcimer. It's called the Yang Tin. Oh, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just really heavy. I wish mm. I could bring it with me, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, jumping to that, were you involved with the uh, ethnic instruments for the score of uh, Across the Spider-Verse, especially, like, Mumbatan uh, Madness? I can hear there's a lot of tabla and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I did charts for them, yeah. And then we, we got players in who, who just sort of, you know, we, I think often with these when you're using so-called ethnic instruments that you, you the notation is a, is a kickoff point really and then the player will go actually well this would be cooler and this is more in keeping with 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 the instrument um so yeah but i mean they had charts and they had they had chords and and then and then they just improvised and you know, Daniel. Daniel loves to improvise in the studio, so he was he was just there, very happy bunny, just um, get, getting all these brilliant players to to perform. But, yeah, um, yeah, because I mean, you know, sometimes it's you know the problem with samples is that that, that a lot of composers will use a, an ethnic instrument sound in a way that it can't really be yeah. played. Yeah. And as an orchestrator, you try and keep over that stuff, but you can't possibly be a, an, an expert in all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, of that's course. Too so. many. That's uh, too you many. You know, and sometimes you get a guy in or, or, or a lady in and they, they play and it's like you think, yeah, we'll stick with the sample, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is not, not happening. Cause, yeah, yeah. Cause, and it's not their fault. It's because we're asking it to do something that it can't really do. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, I remember I worked on um, uh, one of the Mummy films with um, Randy Edelman, which was... was which was great and we had a it was set in china it was the thing with the oh okay know, the, i remember that the one. terracotta yeah. army come to life yeah know? it could happen you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and so we had like this chinese folk band basically in it who were all really like very well-known chinese musicians in in yeah. london and uh, then we kind of improvised with them Still, my favourite sound ever was uh, Randy Edelman's a larger than life character, and it was like there was one point there was a there was a guy who was playing the peeper, I think, and it was ah. it, it was um it was called Mr. Wu. And I just remember <laughs> Randy Edelman going, "Mr. Wu, you're killing me!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's proper New York. That was a good New York accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Because yeah. I was thinking, like a lot of the notation, especially when I was uh, performing back then, it was like numerical. Well, my sheet music is all numerical for some yeah, reason. Yeah. So I, I can imagine like all 
all the charts are slightly different. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what you try and do is you you you, you send them the demo, and then you'll you'll give them the sheet music and put chords on yeah. there as well, and then they'll work make it work for for them, you know. And you you get cooperative players, and obviously the you know the orchestral uh, film contractors in London know the players who are are um, flexible. You know, you don't want somebody who's a complete purist who, who just tells you you're an idiot and storms out of the room. Yeah, so, yeah. so you go, you're an idiot, but I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's, can be one of the really fun things and stuff like I've done some orchestration on where there is room for improv, whether it's with percussionists or world instruments and things like that. It is cool because you like get this extra gift of the recording of like something a little different or oh, cooler. Totally. You know? I mean, I think you know if you put the right people in the room, why don't prescribe what they what they do? Yeah, you know, say okay, look, this is what I've got in my demo. Can what can you know? And they'll go oh, yeah, and they'll and they'll bring something to the table. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. that's always the the the, the real fun part yeah. of, of those those sessions where you, they'll come up with something way cooler than yeah. you, either you as an arranger or the composer have come have thought of. And yeah, like, oh, God, this is so and then you fun. look you look great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a genius. <laughs> it, was, it was all my idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about the uh, the path from mock up to score. Um, to record a performance as an orchestrator, being that middleman, do you do a fair amount of notate at improv at your end as well before sending it to a performer? If you ever notate a part that's meant to be um, improvised or played flexibly? I think that would just be second-guessing them, you know. So I think the idea is is to give give them an, an indication of what the composer wants. So you, you play them the demo, you give them the notation, and then... I think if you if you try and lead them too much, then you'll you'll lose that spark you get when they go, okay, well that's that, but I can do this, and and you know there, there's something the the alchemy that happens in a in a in a studio in a live setting is 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 something that you just it's good not to prescribe. I think um, you know by its very nature, there's a lot of film composers are slightly control freaks just because there's so much to control, and you have to be in to a certain extent, but. I think, I think sometimes it's really good just to sit back and say, okay, what you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that's sometimes where the magic can happen. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, so next thing we want to ask you about is your collaborations with uh, Nicholas Bertel. I mm. think most people who have listened to this podcast or just know me know I'm a big <laughs> fan of his work and of me your too. orchestration. He's actually one of the composers that made me want to do this as a film composer. Oh, wow. I was oh. a kind of a concert composer, and then I heard some stuff in Moonlight, and then if Beale Street could talk, and... I absolutely loved it, but I want to ask you about the Underground Railroad. It's probably my mm. favorite television score, or one of them. Mm. Um, and I just want to ask you about what it was like at first, generally tackling that project because it's such a huge score. Mm. The soundtrack is three one hour. You know, yeah. each thing is one hour, and there's so many different themes, so much new material, so much mm. contrast between beautiful thematic things and textural, you know, very tense things, which which matches the level of seriousness that that show is. I mean, it's an incredibly heavy show to watch. Yeah, it's, and it's, yeah, it's challenging. And it's yeah. also, the show is so cinematic as well. Yes. So just kind of generally give the overview of what that project was like. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a kind of a, a lockdown thing, really. I mean, I think we got into the studio. It, 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 he, Nick was writing it um, just pre-lockdown and then everything going, kind of got pushed back. I mean, it would it had already been finished, but musically um, we had to wait quite a long time. And I, and I, I, I kind of, it feels, 
it was it was really like a sort of green shoot of of you know that the world could get back to normal again because it was it was the first thing I, that we got into the studio in when the when the London studios opened again in like the summer of whatever year it was 20 21 was it yeah yeah summer of 21 and it was the first thing we did and yeah. so I, i'd been working on it um that so again it was a bit of a lifesaver to see you know, yeah, yeah. Have, have some work but um yeah it's a beautiful beautiful i mean Nick, nicholas is an amazing writer he really is and it, um yeah i'm very fortunate to to have worked with him for the last five or six years uh, and yeah, I mean, it's his usual thing, you know. He there's, there's a lot of sort of uh, um, solo cello stuff because he, he's married to a cellist. Yep. Um, uh, Caitlin, his his wife, is a brilliant cellist who plays with the New York Phil, and uh, so he quite often tracks up cello. You know, I mean, quite the, one of the first things we normally do on a film is is I'll start doing the cello parts that she records at their place in mm, in, New yeah. York, in New York, and um, then he'll put some solo violin on as well. He's got a guy called Tim Fain who, who does all these solo violins. Yeah, yeah, he did the stuff in Moonlight. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, all the, the famous... All the Moonlight arpeggios yeah. that, that, you know, became so much part of that score. Yeah, yeah. So he he has all that. And then, then we get into the orchestral writing. And, uh, you know, he's very... I mean, he's... Nick knows what he wants, so he's very prescriptive. So ten, what we tend to do is we'll do a version of of uh, a cue that he, is completely what he's written, and then he'll say, "Okay, can you do a variation?" Oh, on that? amazing! So he say, "Can you do a?" He calls it a, a, a Dunkley version. <laughs> so, so I'll do I'll do something, you know, change the harmony or fill up the harmony, a yeah, little yeah. Bit or make it a little more rich, uh, yeah. slightly more movement in the strings. So I'll do a version like that. And then we might do a version where it's just brass. So he'll say, okay, um, you know, sometimes it will be a piano piece and, he say, and he'll say, okay, can you do a string arrangement of that? Can, oh, you, can you do a brass arrangement of that? Can you do a woodwind arrangement of that? And that's something that we did in Underground Railroad. That's something that we, we did for all four seasons of succession. Yeah. So he'd write, a, he'd write the core piece and then he'd say, okay, can you do a brass variation a, a woman yeah and, yeah and for an arranger that's great you know? oh it's, yeah it's of like course just showing off your chops you know? yeah it, yeah it, it, and it's really creative and really interesting and that stuff gets used as well oh yeah they're all cut into the the thing and then he he uses a, a brilliant um music editor guy called john finkley who's a good friend of both mine and yeah his, and he he cuts the stuff in so. yeah i mean those appear those really are like such a great resource when you're watching the show because then you can each of those have a different texture and then they can fit under dialogue or under yeah. certain things in different ways and also like the the core one of the core themes caesar's theme appears in so many different orchestrations yeah, and that's a great that's a great thing yeah it's, yeah. it's wonderful yeah. and it's so emotive yeah. um overall like kind of makes you tear up every time oh you yeah i mean he's 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 fantastic at writing killer themes, but also, you know, really interesting textures and, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he's a he's a he's an amazing writer. I think. Yeah, th that's that's one thing about that score that I think works so brilliantly is because there's so many dark, you know, incredibly heavy, tense scenes, almost like a horror score in certain senses. Yeah. Because what's going on in the the plot is oftentimes horrific. Yeah. But there's also these like glimmers of hope with the more thematic material yeah, that yeah. works so brilliantly, and there's this pure beauty as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I th I think the score really helps that show in general. It's a brilliant show, but I think having that hopeful lens that the score or yeah. more emotive lens that the score puts in there 
really does help drive the story. I, in a certain I completely way. agree, and I, th- I think you know the same applies for Succession. You know, it's, absolutely. Uh, I I don't think Succession would be quite Succession without without Nick's amazing score. Absolutely, so. it's one of the first things people talk about. And we've got a question about Succession coming next. Oh, sorry, so to jump the go gun. Ahead. No, no, it was the next thing <laughs> we're going to ask. Oh, oh. yeah, uh, much of the material in Succession is inspired closely closely by um, classical repertoire such as Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, yeah. Rachmaninoff. So, um, how does this affect your orchestration? choices so uh, how you also balance the conventions of the style of that era and more modern orchestral techniques yeah sure i mean yeah i mean and all those homages are very deliberate you know that's not of course that hasn't but uh, and nick's very schooled uh classical musician he's an amazing pianist i mean he could quite easily be a concert pianist he's, <laughs> he's incredible so all the piano you hear on succession is him and oh. yeah he's wonderful you know he's a really <laughs> really good musician um so yeah i mean it's yeah we just go for it you know it's just <laughs> like you know if you've the, the, that's the glory of it it's like you know they really the the music's up front and center in 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 the mix and there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of traveling moments in succession where they're you know they're in planes trains all automobiles whatever yeah yeah um and so those moments the music really comes up um and yeah we have a lot of fun with it i mean i think i can't remember which season it was i think it was it was either season two or season three um we decided okay let's do everything like a a baroque concerto grosso so everything was written in the score like a concerto grosso and we recorded it that so you know recorded the the concertante and the ripieno separately um and that was really cool yeah and then yeah so each each season we kind of have a different different idea you know and i i know he wanted in, in season four he wanted to get more choral stuff in um and yeah, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it. But there's, there's a reason why we have some yeah, yeah. some slow choral music. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know that that the opening theme that he wrote is so good. Oh yeah, and it's so malleable that that crops up everywhere. But it, it works so well in so many different guises. You know, and again, it's like I was saying about Underground Railroad. So. You know, we do a, a core thing which might just be a piano piece, and then we go, okay, well, let's do it for strings, let's do it for brass, let's do it for woodwind, um, or let's do it for five pianos, yeah, or, yeah, or whatever. And so it's it's really interesting, and, and and like he tended to do about, I think we do about twenty twenty five pieces per season where we record, but then each one of those would have maybe three or four variations, yeah. and that would give um, John Finkley, who is who who cut it into the series. Um, a massive palette of what to 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 pull from for each season. Well, yeah, um, and you know some of the stuff. I mean, the was it season three where all the stuff in Italy and stuff and that music. I mean, you listen to it, the, the soundtrack. It's you could just quite easily listen to it. Oh class, yeah, it's yeah, classical yeah, 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 yeah. music. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's such it's such good writing. Yeah, and uh, you know, as an arranger to get your hands on that is is a, a real privilege. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. one of the most amazing things about Succession, just as a show, is it's such an amazing show. But people who watch it, one of the first things they always mention is the music, mm. which is so interesting. So much music can sink into the background, but. People that watch that show know the music. It's funny because, like, one of the things, I'm a pianist, and one of the things, if I go, oh, I'm a film composer, they'd say, oh, do you know how to play Succession? <laughs> and so I, I learned how to play, you yeah, know. Of course. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's one of those things where it really resonates with people. It yeah. kind of translates. Yeah, it, it's way. very much part of the DNA of the show. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, I mean, it's brilliant writing and, and brilliant acting, but the music is is, is right up there with, 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 with all that. Yeah, you know. and brilliant orchestration. <laughs> Give yourself credit, Matt. Thank yep. you. And <laughs> hey, shout out to John Finkley, because yeah. the, the way it's, it's placed in the series yeah. is 
super effective. Yeah, he's, he, he's very, very good at that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Cool. Yeah, I want to jump into video games, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, I think people on the podcast, they do know that I like to play video games. Luke as well. Yeah, yeah. So Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I haven't. I haven't pl- the last game I played was, was two, three years ago. Boo. But, you know, I, I have played a lot of video games in my day. <laughs> Honestly, I've been playing a lot, but you know, um, one um, score that stuck out to me is Halo Four. Mm. And everybody, when we talk about Halo Four, everybody said that wow, the music is fantastic. So, mm. um, could you kind of tell us a bit on like what's the process for orchestrating for video games? Is there like a difference between doing that compared to films and um, TV series? Um, well. I mean, the the great thing about video games now is, you know, because there's, there's room on the chip, <laughs> you can have full symphonic orchestras and, you know, there's no surprise that you're getting, you know, A-list Hollywood composers are doing these these video games. Um, and, yeah, so when we, when we did Halo 4, um, we had huge orchestras. At, uh, we did it at Abbey Road Studio One. I think we had... Ten days with a oh. with a with a full symphony orchestra, wow. um, and you know you, you again you have to be um, you have to be careful how how you record. So you, you record in because uh, because of the nature of video game music, you know you, 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 it's always in cells of normally eight bars. It has to be loopable. It has to be cuttable. Yeah. So you need you, the structure is very kind of. You know, so it can be repeated, and you have to record the strings and the the brass and the percussion separately. Yeah. So you've got complete control over that and any choir elements and things. So it's very much a sort of you 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 know you do the big playouts they call them where they have a little symphonic thing. Once you've you know you finished a, a a level, and there'll be a little kind of movie, and you score those. So they're yeah. the they're the big moments. And um, the score was written by Neil Davidge, who's yeah. amazing uh, writer who you know wrote for Massive Attack and very yeah, very yeah, cool. very clever guy, brilliant grooves, but also he's a he's a really he's a really good composer. Um, and he does more and more of that these days. And he's based down in Bristol, so I, you know, I went down to Bristol and worked oh. with him there for a bit. And um, um, yeah, and you, yeah, you just put. I think you record. I think in the end we recorded about four hours of, oh. of music. So it's like doing four movies. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, they have the whole team as well working um, back 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 in the um, uh, the game studio that they have these game implementation composers who do additional music and chop up that stuff to make it work because I think there's normally about seven hours of music in the end yeah. In, yeah, a, in a game yeah. so you have these guys who, who chop it up and uh, make make it fit and then they'll put a new bed but they might use your brass over there you know synth bed oh got something. it yeah, so, yeah. so and you know actually one of the guys who was one of the game implementation guys on Halo 4 um, Kazumi Yanucci he ended up writing the score for, for Halo 5 yeah which I conducted yeah. as well for him so oh you know these guys are these guys are really good composers as well, and yeah. yeah, he stepped up after after Neil did four. So, and it's great, you know. You listen to it; it's some fantastic. Oh yeah, fantastic, it's very memorable. Big, yeah, lovely big themes, and yeah, it's great. Fun. Sounds massive. Too. Yeah, to, yeah. So you you orchestrate it in a very filmic way, basically, because yeah. it is they're like films, and you know the the um, the graphics and the the 
the um, the scope of them is so filmic that that yeah you have you have to give you have to pay homage to that and and give it the same treatment you would a a big film but it, it's a lot of work I mean yeah you, it's like four films so. yeah <laughs> crazy yeah Darren you want to ask the next one yeah sorry I was missing out about I was missing about half the Halo conversation because of Wi-Fi stuff so. Well, you can hear it on the record back. <laughs> We've got it recorded. Yeah, check us out on Spotify. Yeah, on I, podcast. I, can't, I can't wait to get around Sorry, to editing this really episode. I think You're cutting out, Darren. Oh, no. We might need to ask this one instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so perfect, we're going to ask you about uh, Black Swan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, so Tchaikovsky's works and orchestrations are known by so many people. <clears> so there's a certain weight of arranging that. Um, yeah. and reworking it. How did you approach that? Um, what kind of score study did you do? How did that kind of work? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it was, that was a great project. Um, so Clint Mansell, who, I, who I've worked with for many years, and... Uh, Another was, one of my favourite composers. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. Yeah, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. He was in town. So yeah. We, oh. we had a few drinks. He was good. <laughs> um, he, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's he's known for his kind of dark indie scores Mm -hmm. so at first glance you'd think you know Tchaikovsky was a was a a strange one but but what he did is he got somebody to um basically program the pretty much the whole ballet oh and that must have been some work yeah yeah absolutely and then he he basically chopped that up in his you know digital workstation and then we called it mansled it you know so he, <laughs> so he bent it and made dark stuff and he overlays and things like that but my my job the the toughest part really was going from the bits that were pure ballet that we um had to recreate because obviously not all of it is score you know sometimes she's dancing yeah on the stage and that's that's regular Tchaikovsky. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets, like, skewed, and as, yeah, yeah. as her mental illness develops, then it, it goes into this dark thing. But you've still got to get the kind of Tchaikovsky going on underneath while there's this overlay of yeah. of black and, you know, strange stuff yeah. going on. So the challenge was really just to, to marry the two together yeah. so it didn't feel like Tchaikovsky, Mansell, Tchaikovsky, Mansell, <laughs> but the whole thing blended. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I had all the scores, um, which you can get online and yeah. and, and yeah. then you know basically worked out how I was going to do the orchestration and how we were going to keep the same size of orchestra going because you can't suddenly drop down to a smaller orca- orchestration because yeah. you you feel like uh, yeah where's it yeah. all gone yeah um so that that was that was a challenge and we did actually unlike you know most scores where we we do a certain amount of separation between strings and brass things like that we did everything in the room old school yeah so all the time because of the Tchaikovsky we yeah. wanted it just to sound like a you know a, th- a theater pit orchestra yeah. Uh, yeah. so um so yeah when we did the score we did everything together as well which was really kind of cool yeah yeah absolutely um and yeah i mean the only other challenge really was just matching the the tempos of, of the music that they'd they'd use you know the temp music they'd use which was a recording from the kirov ballet i think yeah and quite extreme tempo sometimes some of these russian yeah, Russian yeah. conductors <laughs> like to like to pull it around a bit taking so, some liberty so then yeah having to sort of click that out to orchestra so we could we could recreate that so it was in sync with what yeah. was happening uh, and then going into uh, Clint stuff, and then going back out, and then sometimes you go back into the Tchaikovsky. Yeah. So it was it was quite a it was a technical challenge, I'd say. Yeah. Know? But um, it was really good fun to do, and it, it's a good movie. I think. Yeah. Very. I mean, 
really kind of a big responsibility because that is so core to what's going on in the actual plot because the music is diegetic and then it's not diegetic. Yes, and, exactly. You know, yeah, it was a lot of heavy lifting on that one. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it nearly killed me. I mean, it <laughs> really helps the kind of the, the mind-bending effect that that film has, though, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we, we had, you know, we had to play the Tchaikovsky for real. But, and for Clint's score to be successful, we still had to be in the sort of Tchaikovsky orchestration world. Yeah. So that you felt like she was in the same world, but the it was all getting bent yeah. and going strange. So we yeah, we couldn't suddenly go to sort of guitars and synths. It, yeah, it, yeah. It just wouldn't have worked. So yeah. so that 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 was a challenge. And yeah, it was we had a lot of fun doing yeah. that. Yeah, very effective part of a very cool, like unique film. Yeah, absolutely. And how yeah. many films use music that way? No, absolutely. Almost none. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. But I, I think we've I think we've got this covered now. I think yeah, that was we, our that was our last question. We're at a good point to stop for the break. Okay, cool. Um, thank you so much for yes. this first part, Matt. It was wonderful asking you about these scores. Pleasure. Get great answers. Yeah, we learned certainly learned a lot. A lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Good. So we'll come back for part two. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Even. even. Oh, Darren's back. And he's not. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit some of this yeah, out. We'll edit. Edit. Don't worry about it. Hi. Great Thank job, so much, Matt. Matt. That was really Matt. fun. Pleasure. Pleasure.